Hello, hello, welcome back to the Spoken Passions Podcast. This is episode 6, and in this episode, I will be covering my history teacher in high school. I actually met her my sophomore year, and ever since, she helped me change my perspective in history. In this episode, she's going to be talking a lot about her history, as well as the importance of history, and why it is important to remember our past. Thanks for staying tuned in to the Spoken Passions podcast. Today, I have my special guest to her, horseback riding and history tourist, a lot of fun. We have Miss Robinson. How are you doing today, Miss Robinson? Hi, Nolan. I am doing just fine. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I usually, when it comes to me and this podcast, I usually start off by playing this game called Word association. So, Miss Rob, pick a letter right now. Wow, that's hard. Um, T. Any letter. <laughs> I'll go with T. I have no idea. T. Okay, awesome. Yeah, no one really chose T. So, good answer. <laughs> so, if you don't know this game, basically, I'm going to give you a list of words and you have to reply to me with another word, but with that letter of T. There's no time limit, but try to think as as many words as you can. And you can skip if you can't remember, but no word repeats. So, for example, if I say diploma, you have to reply with a letter or with a word that starts with the letter T. So, like, terrific. (laughs) Okay, I I think I understand now. Awesome. Are you ready to play? I don't know how good I'll be at this, but but I, I will give it my best shot. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Your first word is horses. Training. Training. How about education? Uh, Teacher. That's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How about history? Uh, Treaties. Treaties. Okay. How about Instagram? Uh, That's hard because I do not Instagram. Um. I'd say trust, but I think there's a lack of trust on Instagram. It would be like a complete uh, hypocrisy to say that. It's okay. We'll just say trust. <laughs> How about politics? Oh, um, wow. Uh, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> How about CSUs? Um, terrific. Terrific. Shout out to the CSUs. Yes, shout out to them. How about networking? Um. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll use trying because you're always trying. trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And your last word is LinkedIn. Oh, um, uh, today, because you should always be uh, linking in today. Today. That's awesome. Well, thank you for playing this game with me. I just wanted to have a little bit more of an understanding of why you chose some of those answers. So, Obviously, for history, you said treaties. So why would you say treaties for history? Uh, I think what's on my mind right now is just what's going on in Ukraine and uh, Mm -hmm. just how awful it is. And, you know, the idea of maybe people coming together and 
having a treaty and stopping, you know, killing each other, that would be nice. Yeah, I so. know it's a big thing, like especially on the news right now. There's so many people talking about the explosions and how people are getting ready for another war. <laughs> yes, no, it it is pretty. It's pretty awful. And you know, when I talk to my my seven year old twins, I have to keep it in more simplistic terms. But it, no, it's it's absolutely horrific. And when you look at what's going on there, it's just unbelievable. You know that we're we're doing this in 2022. Uh, it's hard to believe. Yeah. And in Instagram, you said trust. And (laughs) obviously, that's kind of contradicting what you believe in how trustful um, social media apps are, such as Instagram. But could you just explain more about why you said trust? Well, I think that there, you know, when you look at social media, you wish that there was more ability to trust, right? Um, I think that unfortunately, you know, social media could be used and has been used in so many great ways um, to communicate, to have people come together, to listen to each other. But at the same time, it's it's used by so many nefarious people to spread, you know, the opposite of that mistrust and, and propaganda and just flat out lies. And, and I think that that's hard, especially, you know, when you look at young people and how it affects young people and and their daily lives as well. So, and it's hard because having seven-year-olds, I look at social media and I'm like, I don't social media at all. I never have, <laughs> never will. But, you know, looking at my own kids and like, how do I want to, you know, bring that up to them as it comes up? I mean, they're seven, so it's not coming up quite yet, but I know yeah. eventually it will. And, and having those honest conversations with them about, you know, the impact of social media, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also when you said CSUs, you said terrific. Uh, I completely agree with you because as a student of a CSU school, I'm really happy to say that I have a lot of resources for me. Like, for example, in my physics class, like imagine how hard physics is in college. Oh, my God. But honestly, with me going to the science lab, me saying that I can walk into a tutor anytime, any day from not really any time, but from nine to four, (laughs) any day is really um, rewarding for me. Um, especially for taking a hard class such as physics. And um, as for the viewers that don't know, CSUs, they invest a lot of time in outside resources, such as um, such as helping the students learn with tutoring. And there's also a lot of um, academic advising for you. Like, for example, in my school at CSU East Bay, we have this thing called um, uh, Foundations of Success class which is also known as GS class. And that's for freshmen to like have a better understanding of what it's like to adjust to college life and to have more of a professional setting. And I don't even think UCs provide that um, something such as GS. I could be wrong, um, but like I'm proud that I have that GS class and that it is open to all freshmen. So. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think the community college, these, they definitely provide stuff. Um, the UCs provide stuff, but I think the CSUs of the group probably do the best at really helping, especially first year students who maybe don't have the knowledge of the background or outside help to, to negotiate the system. I think the CSUs do a great job with that. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, also for politics, you said terrible <laughs> I know like politics are really terrible and there's like a lot of bias. I completely agree with you on that. But 
how terrible is politics for you? Well, it's funny because being a political science major, I mean, I find, you know, politics, the history of it, you know, how governments function. I find it absolutely fascinating. And it's not to say that what's going on in our country, we've never had anything just as bad because we obviously have. I mean, that this is, you know, people like it's so awful. I'm like, no, we've had worse. Believe me, we've yeah. had worse. Um, but at the same time, you know, and we talked about this before, the, the use of social media, there's both the good and the bad. And I think, unfortunately, in politics, we see we see both, right? You see the, the good, which is the grassroots movements to get people more involved and have their voices be heard. But at the same time, you see the bad where people, because of the way the algorithms work on the social media, they will purposely put more sensational stuff out there more stuff that will get an emotional response and be retweeted, uh, sorry, we retweeted, see if I can talk right, um, or likes or whatever because of the way the algorithms work on social media. So you're getting a lot more sensational stuff out there that's meant to emotionally, for a lot of it, make people afraid. And we know when you talk about psychology and history, you know, when you talk about authoritarian governments, the way they control people is by working on that emotion of fear. And I always tell people, if your politicians are trying to make you afraid of something, you need to stop and really think about what's going on. Because the only reason why someone would make you be afraid is if they're trying to control you. Um, because when we're afraid, we stop thinking for ourselves and we just do what we're told. And that's, that's a very frightening place to be in, especially when you talk about a democracy where people have rights um, you never want to feel like you're afraid and you stop thinking for yourself and, and researching the answers for yourself. Um, and that's what I really see with, with politics right now that I think is so horrible is we really have a lot of politicians going out there spreading this propaganda of, of fear and really working on people's emotion of fear as opposed to working on the idea of how can we make things better. It's I'm going to work on you being afraid of something so you don't try to make things better. You just are afraid and hate people instead. And I think that's just terrible. Um, yeah. And I think that's where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, moving on, thanks for uh, playing that game with me. You're doing awesome, by the way. I, well, I love you how you're able to answer those questions very quickly. <laughs> you're really good at, uh, at word association. I would say that for sure. <laughs> See, it's, it's all those years of working with the teenagers, right? I, I have to come up with an answer quick. You, got, you guys aren't going to stay around for the forever for an answer. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, but yeah, um, as you guys know, um, I usually insert this thing called quickie facts um, throughout the podcast. But thanks to Miss Rob, um, she decided to give the quickie facts to me. She told me to list three things that I wish I could be heard on instead of um, the information. And which, by the way, I love because I love talking about things that I'm passionate about as well as what other people are passionate about. So I would say the first thing that I wish I could be heard on was resources for middle income students. Um, so to provide a little bit more context, like, yes, there are a lot of resources for low-income students, especially when it comes to um, major, um, like major schools such as UCs and CSUs. Like even if you're in a certain um, income, if it's low enough, then you could even have your tuition for free. 
Um, but when it comes to middle income students, we barely have those resources to um, to have those um, tuition costs lowered. Because for me, when it comes to me applying to scholarships, it's hard because a lot of the scholarships are need-based scholarships and they are also academic-based scholarships. And I would say I'm right in the middle. I'm not like the smartest person in the room. And at the same time, my the income of my families um, isn't the lowest in the room either, which makes me in a really um, hard spot because I would say my foot is in the door a little bit, but I cannot really support myself 100%, um, which requires me to take out loans sometimes. Um, so Ms. Rob, I wanted to know about your opinion for like middle-income students. Well, I think it's interesting because we talked yesterday. I mean, that was definitely my position uh, when I went to college. You know, my parents were both college educated. They had decent jobs, but we were not, we were very, you know, in that spot of you make just enough money not to be able to get a lot of grants or anything, but not really enough that you aren't going to go into horrible amounts of debt trying to pay for, for school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, and I was able to get some scholarships through my sports stuff. Um, but the reality was, is I ended college with luckily not a whole lot of debt, but still um, when they talk about a lot of those student loans and they say, oh, they're subsidized and they're so great, they're actually horrible loans. I mean, when you actually do the math and you look at the compound interest for how much you're paying for that loan, they're really bad. They're, they're not good loans. Um, and I and I think that's that's part of it is, you know, there's almost this idea that when you're going to school, you know, if you're if you're poor, we're going to help you. But and if you're rich, you can fend for yourself. But you're right. There's that middle uh, gray area where people really they need help and support, too. Um, and you're having a whole you know group of, you know, the generation coming out of college so far in debt that it makes it very, very difficult for them to go anywhere. Um, and I think that that's something that as a nation, we need to to talk more about. And I think definitely California finally giving the first two years of community college free. So at least if you wanted to do the two-year transfer, you're not as far in debt. Um, I think that's a huge, huge thing. And I'm glad California did it. Um, I think New York does the same thing. But the reality is, you know, there's a lot of countries, especially in Europe, especially the Scandinavian countries, that they give college free all the way through like PhD level. And I think, you know, as a society, we need to value that education more and be willing to provide it and support it for all people who want that education, because it can only benefit us, benefit us as a society. There's, there's no downside to having a more educated society or people having more, more education and more schooling. There's just no downside to it. And we certainly being the richest country in the world could afford it if we chose to, uh, you know, do things a little differently. Um, yeah. And this is what I would say, if, you know, if other countries are able to do it and they're not as wealthy as us, there's no reason why we can't do it too. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And by the way, super sorry about the background noise. <laughs> I think they're just doing some work outside of my house. Um, but yeah, um, I completely agree with you that, on that, especially because I'm currently experiencing it right now. I'm in that middle gray area. And yeah, California, that's awesome that the first two years are free. But once again, as the richest country in the world, we could do better. We definitely. could do better. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, another thing that I wish I could be heard on is this, this is really just a school-wide thing, but in my school at California State University East Bay, we are considered one of the most diverse um, universities in the nation, actually. Um, we're top ranked on that. But at the same time, not that many people have their identities represented on campus. Like, for example, I'm really happy to say that I'm part of my culture campus, um, my culture on campus, which is the Philippinex American Student Association. And it's actually the biggest non-Greek organization on campus, as what I mentioned in the first episode of this podcast. But not that many people could say that their culture is represented. Like some people, they join PASA because their culture isn't represented, which I, I'm really grateful that there, there is a lot of diversity in our club, but I wish it wasn't because their culture wasn't represented. So hopefully I would try I would want to do something in the future to make sure um, that more cultures are represented and to encourage other people to make their culture represented here at CSUEB. Um, and lastly, another thing that I wish I could be heard on, which I'm really glad that I want to mention this because you are a history teacher, um, is that there are a lot of untold stories in the history textbooks. Um, like, for example, um, in episode two, I talked about this with Nyla. Um, she mentioned how when it comes to Europe, it's very rich, it's very um, elegant, and it talks a lot about um, a lot of the men that were in power. But when it comes to like places like Africa, it's very like poor and very sad and depressing, and there's like really bad diseases like Ebola and stuff like that. So I, I just wanted to know your stance on that. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, our history books, uh, you know, as I always say there, you should always take a look at who the authors are, you know, look at their background and, and very much they are representative of the people who write them, no, no question. And we talked about, you know, the idea of, of who are these professors in academia um, and what are their backgrounds. And, and the reality is, is most of our professors in academia aren't a very good array of the diversity of this country. They, they just aren't. And that has a lot to do with when you talk about historically who was able to go to college, who was able to go up into the PhD level, um, who got published as authors. Um, this is all part of that and, and why so many, so many things are left out of our history books. Um, and you're absolutely right. We, we need to have more of that because, you know, as we talked, the, the idea that the history that we're getting is very one-sided it's from one one group's perspective and and as i always say in history the winner writes the history um whoever is the winner and the person in power writes the history and you're literally only ever getting the history from their viewpoint um it's never from the losers it's never from the people on the sidelines who who just you know get ignored and pushed away and i think that that's you know the fact that we're not hearing these stories is is detrimental to us being a better society um, because the problem is the people in power don't think these stories exist and the people who have these stories aren't being heard so nothing ever changes and and like we said the other day like really teaching people how to be heard without 
basically the other side going, oh, well, you're just being loud and crazy and we're not going to listen to you because um, that happens a lot. And it's like, no, people aren't being loud and crazy. They just want to be heard. Um, and no, definitely having history books that are, are more representative of, of the diversity that we have in this country would be awesome. And I do know that California has done a pretty decent job about saying, hey, we need to include more of, of these groups and their stories and, and how you know, they were affected during these different historical time periods as well, which is nice. Um, but quite frankly, the history books, because you know, they're so old, they only change them over every like once a decade. Um, they are definitely not caught up it's it's still like there's like a paragraph about each group but that's like it uh, it's it's very much yes about you know white european men uh, that's, that's yeah pretty much what it is <laughs> yeah um and i know that um especially when it came to um learning about history in class i know that you incorporate a lot of um not just that but like also what's going on today. So Ms. Rob, I wanted to know how you try to incorporate um, that. So it's not just old white European men. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because when you look around the world and, and even when I, I do my very brief reminder in world history about, you know, the ancient civilizations and really, you know, walking around the world and, and going, hey, there were all these ancient civilizations and all these different parts of the world. Um, and in many respects, doing the same things at about the same time. So it's like, you know, and, and Europe wasn't even part of that. I mean, they, they were all just, you know, sitting around. Um, and I think that's, that's great for people to understand too, is that, you know, when we talk about culture and we talk about heritage and we talk about the various parts of the world, no, people from all parts of the world were kind of coming along at the same time. And some would, you know, get really advanced and then fall apart as an empire would fall apart. And then another group might come and become advanced um, and really understanding, you know, when we talk about science and math and, you know, literature and art and inventions um, that they came from all cultures. It wasn't just, wasn't just one. Um, and I think that that's, that's really valuable for us to, to remember. And, and, you know, like trying to really, especially because in Milpitas, I mean, it's, it's such a diverse group of people. And I think really giving students a chance to go, hey, you know, is there something in my culture that I can be super proud of? And giving them that, that opportunity to go research and say, hey, let's bring it to the rest of the class. What do you, what do you want to share that you think is pretty amazing from, you know, your culture, your heritage, um, you know, and, and bringing that to the table, I think is super important. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Um, as you know, I joined the Academy of Travel and Tourism, I believe three, maybe even four years ago, which is crazy to believe. Um, but yeah, one of my proudest projects that I would even say up to this day is doing that country where I represent my country, the Philippines, because I was so proud about my culture. I was so proud about sharing um, the unheard stories like, um, that Corazon Aquino, she was the first female president in Asia. Um, and she was able to stop a major dictatorship that happened in the Philippines under the Ferdinand Marcos regime, which was really fascinating because I even like I even go more in depth about it um, in college when I'm taking my Philippinex um, culture assemble class, um, which I'm really um, interested to learn more about. Because in that class, I learned a lot about what happened during that dictatorship, how the people were feeling. 
And I'm just really glad that I was able to build upon that project that I once did my sophomore year of high school. Um, so yeah, and I know that in CSU East Bay, they offer this thing called ethnic studies where you basically learn more about other cultures and how um, life was like for them. Would you say that there is an ethnic studies class in Malpitas High School right now? Yes. Yeah, so the state of California decided that we'd have ethnic studies. And I think the Milpitas one right now is an ethnic studies and literature class. I think that's what they have right now. Um, the idea being in California that we start kind of having that uh, broad based across the curriculum so that, again, this idea that we look when we look at math or we look at science or we look at history or literature, really recognizing that there's all these contributions to these subjects from all over the world and really starting to recognize those contributions and talking about them. Um, and that's the whole idea of, of ethnic studies. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, this is kind of just starting. And I know the CSUs have been and the UCs have been doing this for a long, long time, um, obviously having more specialized classes. Um, I mean, even for me, one of the, the funnest classes I took at UC San Diego was this because we had to take various classes across different subject matters. Right. And one of them was a music theory class that was an African music theory class. And I had, you know, my my teacher was a professor from Uganda and he could play over 300 different African musical instruments. And he had this, you know, class of like 200 people in a lecture hall. And he he taught us to recognize all those instruments and, you know, their history behind them and the different groups that, you know, created them and why and the different music that came out of there. And then, of course, how the dysphoria in the United States, you know, the Black diaspora in the United States actually continued with some of those traditions and where those traditions actually come from in Africa and what countries they actually come from in Africa. And it was an absolutely fascinating class, super fun, even though I have like no musical talent and have no rhythm, but it was really cool and really fun. And, you know, sometimes things will still come up when I think about that. And even when I went to Africa on safari, because um, I went to Kenya and Tanzania on safari, and it's about 10 years ago, and it was really just cool to go to those countries and and actually see things and you know see them you know right in front of your face and and that was really really fun um and really interesting to talk to people there but no i think we need to do a better job of like bringing that in so that it's you know it's not just a one-off but it's just part of you know we you take various classes and you you learn about all sorts of stuff and and i think it is really important like you said for you especially because you do have a dysphoria, you have people who've immigrated to the United States and they might be first or second or third generation. And some of the stories from their families get, you know, they get lost after a while. And, and I think for identity and really understanding who and what you are and your family and why things are important to your grandparents, but you don't know why. Um, I think it's super important to be able to embrace that and have a way to do so. Um, even when we talk about losing languages, like we're, we're losing languages around the world all the time because people just don't speak those languages anymore. Um, you know, people have moved away and the languages just aren't spoken. Yeah, agreed. Um, like, for example, I actually knew Tagalog um, growing up, but I lost it because of the American education system. Um, and I feel like a lot of my classmates could relate to me when I say that I lost my language due to the American education system. And even so much so, I remember my other grandma, she's in Vegas. Um, 
what she implemented for her grandchildren was that in the household, you only speak Tagalog. And then outside the house, you could speak whatever language you want, like English and all that. Um, but in the house, it's strictly Tagalog, just so that they don't lose their memory of their native tongue. And uh, Ms. Rob, I just wanted to know your opinion on that. Like, do you think it's just inevitable for us to like lose our native tongue when it comes to the American education system? Or do you think there's something that we could do with that? That's a hard one, because if you look historically at the American education system, I mean, when you talk about the simulation practices of the 18 and, and, and 1900s, um, the whole purpose was to basically make people forget about their their culture, their heritage from where they came from, and basically become this idea of what an American is, which is is so laughable because there's no one idea of what an American is. I mean, we're, we're not a homogeneous society, so it's kind of funny that you have this, but again, it's the people in power saying we want everybody to become just like us. Um, and that way you never have any dissenting opinions about, you know, what we should or shouldn't do. And I think that that's obviously, we're, we are a rich nation because of our diversity. And we know that actually economically, that we are a rich nation because of immigrants coming to this country, bringing new ideas. Um, a lot of immigrants are business people and, and starting businesses. And we know that a lot of our wealth as a country is because of this diversity. And so when you look at public school, yes, I mean, for purposes of getting information across, having one language that you're doing it in, obviously, it's kind of like with business. Pretty much if you want to do business worldwide, knowing English is kind of necessary. Um, but, you know, when you look at the idea of continuing to have the culture and the language, um, I think that that's incredibly valuable. And especially when you think about you going forth into the world and having a career, speaking multiple languages, having an understanding of culture um, and heritage of your own and also of other people will make you more valuable. It makes you more able to talk to people, to have conversations, to communicate with other people. Um, and definitely, you know, being this cookie cutter image of what an American is does not give you as much value, honestly, going for, forward into your professional career. So having that diversity and having that home language, I think, is very valuable. Yeah. And I just wanted to go back to when you said, like, the history books, it was for, it was basically meant for the people in charge, for the winners. So I wanted to know, do you think when it comes to what we're learning in history and um, when it comes to the education system as well, do you think there is a lot of bias when it goes to making those decisions? Yeah, I mean, because obviously the people in charge are the people who make the decisions about what students learn. Um, and because of our the, the, the way our federalism works in this country, where we have you know, power at the federal level at Washington, D.C., but then we have state and local control as well, um, you definitely see a divide in our country, what students learn in what state they live in, what county in what state they live in. Um, we, as an American nation, are not making sure that everybody kind of gets the same education. And you see that with how our country runs. Um, and I think that there is something to be said about we need to do a better job about saying, okay, yes, we understand that communities value certain things and might want their education in their community to have certain things in it. But I think there needs to be a better standard of, okay, everybody is going to value these certain things and we're going to make sure that they're taught because that's definitely not happening. Um, 
And I also think, you know, when you look at the education system, and even when you look at the idea of history, you know, I remember sitting, you know, years ago in department meetings, you know, where people would decide really what was the important things that, you know, students should have and learn. And for me, I just, I never really agreed. Um, Part of it was, oh, we need to make sure they learn about World War II and these specific battles and, you know, these, and I'm like, who cares? I mean, yes, we need to honor that people fought a, fought a war and died and we should honor their lives, but I'm all like, that's not the big takeaway. You know, it's like, why did these wars start? What was going on? Why were these people arguing? You know, how were, you know, the regular people manipulated into fighting a war that was never going to benefit them? Um, you know, and that's what I see, even like when we were talking about briefly, you know, what's going on in Ukraine right now. There's so much history behind what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now. It's not like, oh, this just happened this year. I mean, this has been going on, you're talking about over, you know, 100 years. Um, and you could go even way back beyond that. And it's like, you know, and the remnants of the Cold War and everything there. And it's like, I think it's sad that a lot of people in America are being told by politicians, oh, that's their problem and we shouldn't have to deal with it. Um, and you do have other people because we have a huge dysphoria of Ukrainian people here in California who are like, whoa, 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 we need to do something about that. This is horrible. Um, but I think the fact that we have a lack of caring about each other as human beings, that when something like this happens, people can just go, oh, well, that's their problem. I don't care. Um, and I think we need to do a better job in the, in the education system of realizing that we are connected not only as citizens of this country, but we're also connected as world citizens. And we should care when bad things happen to other people. And we should want to make it better. Um, and we should try to understand their culture and their history well enough that we are willing to, to do something. And I know that's hard because then it's like, oh, well, we got to pick up a gun and shoot each other. But I think there could be a better way. Um, but we have to be willing to do that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like from my perspective as a student learning history, I love history and learning about other people's cultures. But when actually learning the history, a lot of it is really depressing. Like I remember when you were showing some movies, a lot of them, they were really sad movies. Like we were crying in almost every movie that you showed us. But like, do you think that is a lot of the history that we're learning right now, just really sad, depressing moments in humanity, basically? I think so. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot, like I said, I always feel like I'm just teaching war and genocide all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually apologize to the students. Sometimes I'm all like, yeah, we're going to be doing another war and genocide. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, be nice to have something more, you know, uplifting for once. Uh, but I always feel like they're, you know, part of telling that, that story is also talking about how it does lead to something more uplifting. Um, so even like in U.S. history, we're about to get into the uh, the civil rights movement and also all the other rights movements that came out of it, bless you. Um, and so we're, but part of it is like, hey, the treatment of certain groups in this country has been horrific. No question, we need to acknowledge that and understand why the people in power chose to treat certain groups of people so awful. Um, but partly looking at, okay, people finally felt like they could have enough power to stand up and have a voice. They started marching, they started protesting, and things gradually have gotten better. Now, are they great? No. But, you know, we're moving towards better, and that's a step in the right direction. 
And I think part of it is, is also remembering that when you see something that's uplifting and going, oh, well, you know, you know, like when we finally said, oh, we're going to have voting rights acts that allow people to, to vote and not have to pay a poll tax. Oh, that's great. And I think the problem is, is then people go, oh, it's fine. It's fixed. We don't have to worry about this anymore. And the reality is, is no, no, it's not fixed. We're coming back to that same problem now 50 years later and, and putting into place laws that are making it hard to vote for some people again. So I think we don't need, I think we need to look at the bad and then also look at what we did to make it better, but then not just sit on our laurels and go, okay, it's fixed. Cause that's not how, that's not how humans work. Um, we always need to keep striving to make it better. It's never perfect. Make it better. Um, and really be willing to listen to people who say, you know, you got this right. This is, this is better, but we need to keep pushing for it. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of hope and, you know, having that uplifting part of history and going, yeah, that was horrible. This is how we made it better. We got to keep moving forward. Um, you know, so even in every war and every genocide and every, um, excuse me, rights movement, it's like, you know, yes, this was horrible. What can we learn from this? What got better? How do we continue to strive forward and, and go forward and make it better? Yeah, agreed. Because uh, I feel like a common misconception about history is that, oh, we're just learning sad, depressing stuff. And like, that's it. You just learn about the past. But no, like the point of history is to like learn more about that situation, how they solved it. And then how can we make our current situation better based on what um, those people have experienced in the past? Because it's not just about old people, really. It's just learning about what they did and how we can make ours better. So I completely agree with you on that. And that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that about um, the important, uh, importance of history. So I just wanted to know more about where did your passion for history first um, come from? It's kind of interesting because I, I said I kind of fell into teaching. It wasn't like I, I had some sort of like thing where I was like, I'm going to become a teacher. That That never really happened for me. I kind of fell into it. And like I said, I was in a sport and I liked coaching people and I graduated with a political science major and went, ah, oh, law school, business school is too expensive. Well, what about teaching? Um, but I, I do enjoy it. And I have to think, I have to say part of it is I, I love reading. So I'm an avid reader and I'll pretty much read anything. Um, and there's a lot of history, obviously, in any type of genre of, of literature. So, you know, when you're talking about stories and plot building, there, there's always some sort of history that they have to build up their plot. So I think that's part of it. And also, you know, as the internet became more of a thing and you can find so much information out there, I just, I love to research and I've always loved to, you know, question why things are the way they are and learn more about them. And one of the promises I made to myself when I was in college is once I graduated from college and had my, had a first real job that I would save money every year and try to travel somewhere um, that I really wanted to see the world. Um, and I was able to do a lot of that. And, and that was another thing, like really wanting to know more about these places that I was, as, that I was going to and really understanding the history of those places and the cultures and things like that. Yeah. Um, can you just explain a little bit more about your education and uh, what your roadmap was towards becoming a teacher at Milpitas High School? Um, so it was one of those things where I was like, I was one of those gate AP honors kids. Um, and you know, you, when you're in those programs, you just think your life is mapped out for you. And 
And it was one of those things. I was a third kid in the family. And by the time it was my turn, um, my sister was just graduating from UC Davis and my brother started college. And my parents were like, we have no more money. <laughs> we're, we're broke. Um, and so I went ahead because I was in my sport and I was doing both state and, and national level at my sport. I went, you know what? I'll go ahead and do two years at the community college. Um, and it was actually the professors there were awesome. They did a great job. But because of the way the community college works, it gave me more time to actually spend doing my sport because um, I was doing a lot of training and then, of course, traveling. And then I from there, I transferred to UC San Diego um, and then graduated from UC San Diego with my political science major. And I love the UC. Um, the professors that they have there are the top in their field. Um, these are people who've done amazing things. They're the people who write the books that you study for these subjects. Um, and I really loved doing the political science there. We had a lot of people. Um, one of my professors was the the man who was the manager behind Bill Clinton's campaigns, both of them. So he actually had Bill Clinton be our speaker. Uh, well, when I graduated, he was the speaker for our, our graduation class that year while he was president of the United States. That was an amazing, interesting graduation to have the president of the United States uh, do your graduation ceremony. <laughs> um, but, you know, just the background you get, and like one of my professors was a high up person in the military, in the Navy, and he had retired and he I took a class on military weaponry from him. Oh, it wow. was fascinating. Just like, you know, wow, we have all this high tech stuff and like what it does. And it was, I think that was it is you just, when you're in college, because you have these, these people who are professors who are so knowledgeable in their field and they're teaching very specific classes. I mean, you could just delve so deeply into things that it's just fascinating. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about colleges is, you know, when you go to college, you're like, hey, there's this class. That sounds fascinating. I'm just going to take it um, and just immerse myself in learning, which I think is just a, an amazing thing that, you know, I, I wish everybody got a chance to do that because I, I think it's so awesome to be able to do that. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, as you can tell right now, a lot of seniors, they're debating whether or not they should go to a CSU or a UC. So could you just explain a little bit more about what people might look towards, whether deciding to choose a CSU, UC, or even a community college? I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with your family, your situation, your financial situation, and also what you want from your college experience. So like my sister went straight to UC Davis. My husband actually went straight to UC Davis, um, and they loved their college experience. The, they were there for the four years. Um, and, and had the freshman experience. My husband did uh, one of the study abroads in Australia for a year. Um, so I think if, if you feel like you really want that full college experience, definitely. Um, I think if you're not quite sure what you want to do and finances are, are an issue, I think doing the two years at a community college and then deciding what you want to do, whether you wanted to go to CSU or UC after that would be totally fine idea to do and in a lot of respects might be your best idea because um, the last thing you want to do is spend a lot of money and then get lost and don't know what you're doing and I think we talked about this too UC versus CSU I mean part of it is you know whether you you want to do that and you can get in but part of it is the CSUs I think are much more supportive um, and, and they're meant to be um, and I know when I did my master's degree and I went to CSU East Bay for that master's degree being a person who had a full-time job teaching and doing a master's degree at the exact same time, which is a, a lot of a load to take on, 
the CSU was much more supportive in that than, than the UCs were. Um, at the UC level, they really expected that you basically don't have a job. You commit yourself entirely to your studies. Um, they're expecting you to put a lot more into that. And I think for some people, depending on what your life is and what you have to do, um, I think it's, it's not feasible. Um, I think the CSUs are a lot more reasonable about the idea that some people have to have a part-time job. Um, some people can't dedicate themselves, you know, 24 hours a day to, to college, the college experience. Um, but I do say, I mean, it's, it's interesting because when you talk about your college experience, I had a very different college experience than my husband, but they're both valuable. And I, I think that's what people need to know is however you go about getting more education, that's still valuable. You still have knowledge and no one can take you that away from you. You still have experiences that no one can take away from you. So there's no wrong way to go about college. No matter what, you know, some people's family pressures them into believing, there's no wrong way to go about college. And the thing is, when you come out with a degree, it, it's a degree, it doesn't really matter where you got it from, um, unless you're going to go work in some high, you know, law firm or finance yeah. on Wall Street. Really, you know, you get a degree from San Jose State or you get a degree from UC Berkeley, it, it's not going to matter at the end of the day. Um, and I think that's important. Like, like my brother-in-law, he graduated from UC Berkeley and then went to law school. He had a friend who went to San Jose State, graduated. They both went to the same law school. They're both lawyers. And actually, the, the friend who went to San Jose State, actually because of the type of law he went into, makes way more money than my brother-in-law does. Wow. So I think that's something to keep in mind, too, is that at the end of the day, you have a degree from a well-known college. The CSUs, the UCs, they're all great colleges. Like I said, unless you have some specific graduate school or you want to work on Wall Street or in some big law firm, at the end of the day, it's a degree. Uh, they're not really looking at that. So okay. go look at college. Go look at what you want to experience and, and just embrace that. Don't, don't worry. Uh, the, mm. the college knowledge that you get is it's the same. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for me right now, um, what I'm contemplating right now is whether to stay or to um, continue my education in a different location because my biggest factor right now is whether I want to uh, fulfill my professional life or my personal life you know because right now I would say I'm doing very well professionally at East Bay like I'm will I have my own community in my uh, Filipino club and then I am in student government but personally there's not that many, like, there's not that much spirit on campus and not that much opportunities for me to show pride for my school. And I know that other schools have that. Um, so yeah, right now I'm just contemplating whether to pursue my personal or professional life. So. And I could see that. And, and probably the suggestion I would give to you, I mean, because CSU East Bay, because of its location, tends to be more of a commuter school. Yeah. Um, and you were even saying for you, and I think it's harder um, for commuter schools to build up that same feeling of campus pride because, you know, people don't necessarily live on campus. Um, but what I would say is this is an opportunity for you. Like you said, you're in student government, you're a freshman. I think this is a huge opportunity for you to bring that to the table because, you know, just because people are commuters doesn't mean they don't want to have that connection. It's just 
harder for them to have that connection. And a lot of the reason why people are commuters has to do with family situations and finances. And, you know, the thing of it is, is how do you bridge that gap to help those students feel like they can have that college experience, realizing that they do have some things that are restricting their ability to have that full on experience. Um, And I think this is, you know, this is an opportunity for think outside the box. Like, how could you? Um, And I know exactly what you're talking about, because I was a commuter student, too. And even at UC San Diego as a commuter student, and there were a lot of things I felt like I missed out on on campus because I I didn't live there 24 seven where, you know, obviously people who live on campus are experiencing more of those things. And there is so much to experience at college, so many opportunities. Um, and I, and I think a lot of people do miss out on them. So, Hey, you have a role in student government, you know, see, see what could be a possibility. And, you know, honestly, think about what you really would like, um, as someone who commutes, like, you know, how could CSU East Bay do a better job of meeting, you know, the things that you wish that you could be a part of, um, on the campus? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely like look into that. And yeah, right now, that's what I'm consistently trying to do, trying to think outside the box and make my college experience memorable, even if there isn't as much experiences compared to other schools. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I just wanted to know more about your life as a mother, since you are a mother of two kids. Is that correct? Yep. I have I have seven year old twins. Wow, seven-year-old twins. So what is that? How is that like for them? Like, what are you currently trying to teach them? God, you know, it's it's hard because obviously COVID kind of, you know, I, I as I say to my students, I'm like, COVID was our own, you know, type of war, or pandemic, you know, we're going to be in the history books, um, you know, how we as a society had to, had to deal with that, right? Um, and I definitely saw how it affected my kids because, you know, they were they were in kindergarten when we all went home and had to, you know, hunker down in our houses and, and really how that affected them, you know, how they felt about education, but also how they felt about, you know, life in general. Um, and part of it for my kids is I, I want them to have a love of learning. I think that's the most important thing is I want them to love the process of learning, to have a passion, just like you're talking about here, to have a passion and really be engaged in it and want to be successful in it and feel like they have the support systems that they need to do so. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest things is, is for my kids to know that they always have that support system that, you know, their parents are there, you know, we're there to guide them and remind them that, you know, there are, you know, if they make choices that aren't the greatest, there are consequences to those, but at the same time to be willing, um, to be a little fearless, to, to go out there and try new things and, you know, find what really motivates them in life and, and hopefully make a difference, not only for themselves, but maybe for other people as well. Um, and I do realize, you know, when you talk about history that my kids, and I, I do want them to know this and have empathy for others because they do have, they have a life that is not everybody else's. Um, you know, they have two parents who are college educated professionals, you know, they never have to worry about anything. I mean, they, they honestly think they can just, you know, whatever they want comes from Amazon. Um, and really <laughs> trying to explain to them that that's not reality for everybody. Um, 
and really trying to engage them as they're getting older, maybe in more volunteer work so that they can see how life is for other people and where they could make a difference. Um, and like I said, it's never to take away the opportunities that they have. And I think this is where a lot of people get this misnomer that it's like, oh, if you try to help others, then somehow you're not helping yourself. And I think that's completely, that's false. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, no, take all the opportunities you have, utilize them to the best of your ability, but then also try to make sure that other people have as many of those things as you do um, to really, you know, whatever support system you have, try to help others have that same support system um, to the best of your ability. Um, really recognize that the reason why someone else couldn't succeed may be because they don't have the same support that you do. Um, and I think that that's important to recognize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned too, um, in a conversation prior to this, that you introduce your kids to like TED Talks, those animated TikToks. So how is that like for them? You know, it's funny too, because, you know, I actually show some of these TED Talks to my students, but at home, you know, if I, if I don't like institute what we watch, I mean, the kids will watch whatever shows up on YouTube. Right. And I'm all like, no, we're not watching random kids <laughs> playing with toys on YouTube. I mean, I was like, no, <laughs> we're, we're not doing that. Um, so I, I like Ted talk. So I just one day, cause we have a little Google hub in the kitchen. And when they're having snack time, I was like, you know, let's just watch some Ted talks together. And they really got hooked on the animated ones. They don't like the real people talking. They don't like that, but they really like those animated ones. And I think Ted talks, they do a great job with them. A lot of them are done by professors in their fields or, or people who are, um, you know, obviously people who are big in the field. And I think they're so well done and they're only like five minutes, which is perfect for a small child with a short attention span. Um, but the fun thing is, is my kids start asking me like, you know, what does that word mean? So it's like vocabulary building. And then they'll say, you know, like we watched one about the fallacy of the whole Kansas, Nebraska act and why some senators said slavery was okay. And why some people were saying it wasn't. And the whole thing was, okay, slavery, that's a fallacy. It's never a good idea. How could you even argue that it's a good idea? But having that conversation with my seven-year-olds about why is it, you know, you can't ever prove that owning another human being is a good idea. Why would, you know, and the fact that those words actually came out of a senator's mouth in the 1800s, you know, those were real words that came out of someone's mouth. Um, and really having that conversation. We also watch ones on like science and physics and, you know, all over the place. Uh, you know, we watched one on like one of them came up about Fahrenheit 451, which is a, you know, oh, obviously a famous book. And I've actually never read it. So I was fascinated, but it was so timely because it was talking about book burning. And you know, right now that there are, you know, states and localities that are banning books again. I mean, I feel like we're back in the Nazi era. Um, but my kids and I had a big talk about, you know, why would people not want you to be able to read whatever books you can? Why would they take books out of a library and ban students from reading them? And, you know, and, and why wouldn't people want you to have as much knowledge as you could get from as many voices as you could get it from? And really, again, that that silencing of of other people's voices. Um, and we see that right now with the book banning, the, the, yeah. obviously the censoring, especially of transgender LBGTQ books from libraries at schools. And, and it's like trying to silence these people's voices and, you know, their lives and what they've had to deal with. Um, and even like the one, the weird one about, you know, it was a graphic novel about the Holocaust and they, and they <laughs> banned it. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, you know, 
we can't have them know about the holocaust i'm like okay this, now we've gone too far you know mm-hmm. um, yeah that's really funny how you mentioned fahrenheit 451 because i actually read that book my freshman year of high school and uh i'm not gonna lie the movies they're kind of bad but like the book itself is actually pretty good and it's very interesting because I also learned about as well um, the book burning and during the Nazi regime when they were banning um, those books. And also with the, the current ban on books today in um, with the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. right? And I really agree with you when you say that, um, that those people, their voices aren't heard. And um, I just wanted to know why do you think their voices aren't being heard? Do you think it's because they're afraid to speak on um, their stance or is it because they don't have those resources? I think it's partly, you know, there's a little bit of both there, right? I go back to that idea of support systems. People who have support systems, they, they feel like they can have a voice and be heard. And if you have historically had a group of people that have not had a support system, and in some cases had laws that hurt them if they spoke up, um, you're going to be more cautious about having a voice and using it. And especially when you look at the laws in our country over, you know, the hundreds of years of our existence, um, they were certainly not friendly towards the LBGTQ community. Um, And even today, I have to remind my students, you know, when they talk about college, it's like, you know, when you think about where you want to go to college, especially when I, when I talk to my students who are LBGTQ, I'm all like, you need to really know what you're getting into. Cause some of them are like, I want to go to this college in the state. And I'm like, realize if you have a job, they can fire you for being gay. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, California protects you, but not that state. And they're just like flummoxed. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. If I go there and they know I'm gay, they could just fire me. And I'm like, yes. Um, and I think that that's, you know, again, because we're this country that's so huge, um, a lot of people, you know, you grow up in California and think the rest of the country is like California, and it's not. And quite frankly, you leave the Bay Area and move to the Central Valley or up north, it's a completely different place. Yeah. Um, and I, I think students, you know, need to know that to get out of their comfort zone and, and see how other communities think. Um, I think is really valuable, but no, I mean, especially when you talk about the history of various locations in our country and certain states in our country, um, and the fact that certain people have been oppressed, um, they've kept kept them from having a voice at both the state and and the local levels. Um, that there's been certainly intimidation um, that's happened at both the the local and state level to make sure that they don't have a voice, and even within the education system in those local and state levels, making sure that either their community schools basically have no funding, so they never really get much of an education, um, or they make sure that whatever they're taught there is so one-sided that exactly what you're talking about earlier, they have no pride in who and what they are to feel supported to stand up. Um, And you're absolutely right. You have to have pride in who and what you are to feel supported enough to stand up and say things could be better. but if you're purposely kept downtrodden by what you learn in schools about who and what you are, and we see this even with discipline rates, certain kids um, from for certain backgrounds are targeted for more discipline, um, even as low as the preschool level. I mean, the, the rate of like ex- expulsions for, for some children, even at four years of age is just atrocious. 
Mm-hmm. And what are these kids told? They're told that they're not worthy, that they're not valuable, that their culture, their heritage, their community isn't valued. And then they don't feel supported to stand up. Or when they finally do stand up, they're so angry, it comes across so you know, violently that no one will listen to them because they're so angry and they have every right to be angry. Um, and I think we need to do a better job of supporting our kids so they grow up feeling valued and supported and feeling like they have a voice and they can be heard so that things can be made better. Um, well, that's all the questions that I have for you today. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Coming back on this break, we're going to be asking where you could find Miss Rob and um, any last minute thoughts. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you for coming back on this podcast. Just to recap, we learned a lot about history and how to make those voices heard. And also a little bit more about what the education system is like, whether it's for public high schools, CSUs, community college, and even UCs. So yeah, I definitely thank you for um, letting me know and the audience know more about that information. And I just wanted to ask you if our viewers could take away anything, what would you want them to at least remember? I want people to know that they should have pride in who they are. Um, that there should be something, like you said, that you're passionate about, that you want to be successful at, that you want to be heard about. And that if you don't have the support that you need to feel like you can go out there and be heard, to not be afraid to go look for that support. And like you said, college is a great place to find that support system. Um, And if you are thinking about college, knowing that you can have two years at the community college free, where you can find support systems. Um, The CSU is a great place to find support systems. Um, The UC is a great place to find support systems. So don't ever be afraid of going and getting more education because college is much more than just a degree. It really is a place where you can find those support systems so you can feel like you can stand up and be heard about the things that you're passionate about that you want to change in this world. And I think that's, that's what I'd really like people to know. You, you have a voice, you can have support systems, you have colleges that will support you, go out there and, and have your voice heard and make the world a better place. Awesome. Thank you for that message. Well, um, I wanted to ask you as well, um, where our students, or I mean, not students, where our audience could find you and uh, ask you questions about history. So obviously, uh, you can always get me at my email address at Milpitas High School. So that is T-R-O-B-I-N-S-O at M-U-S-D dot org. So again, T-R-O-B-I-N-S-O at M-U-S-D dot org. Yes. (laughs) And uh, also last, um, yeah, last thing uh, coming back in our next episode I have another person um, that's also from Lapidus High School. He's someone that I actually founded my club in high school, Ukulele Club, with. And he's going to talk a lot about his experiences for the ukulele. So thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.